I was trying to think of like the genre that Nickelback is, and it's like butt rock. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> And welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts about an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That is right. That is Kate Griffin. And that's Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I am a songwriter, and this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. Yes, that is correct. And today we're going to be discussing the band's fourth studio album, One by One, and we're joined by a very special guest, teacher, writer, and dude who has a beta fish named Dave Grohl, Tristan Edelman. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for having me. This is this is such an unexpected uh, treat, so I'm glad you reached out. Yeah. Yeah, we're glad that you were down to, to join us. Um, I need to know about the beta fish. Yes. How so, and why? So it's weird because I say my, but it's re- it's really my girlfriend's beta fish and we and we live together, but we, we got a new one and it and nothing about it screams Dave Grohl. We were just trying to come up with names <laughs> and then she said like, I don't, and she doesn't, I mean, she likes the Foo Fighters okay. I think she likes Dave Grohl as like a personality on things mm. more than she likes the band. We understand. Music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, she just said it and we're like, all right, that's good enough. Let's do that. So um, <laughs> we go through beta fishes like crazy, not because we kill them off, but because they don't live very long. So we always have fun, yes. with, fun with the names. So nice. All right. Well, that's good. How long has uh, How long has Dave Grohl been around? He, he's been around for six months. Okay. And, okay. And before that, who knows how long he lived before he was in that PetSmart uh, end cap thing that they're in. So. Yeah. 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 So. Well, I wish him a, a long and prosperous <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, same. Thank you. <laughs> so, Tristan, tell us your Foo history. Are you a big Foo fan? Is this your like a, a favorite album of yours? Like, what's the history? So, I, I mean, okay. So, when I said Dave Grohl as a person, you like you seem to go like, oh yeah, we understand. Uh, that might mean to me that maybe I'm a bigger fan of Foo Fighters okay. than you too. I mean, I have no idea. Like, I think I, you are. Okay, I just want to be, I'm not saying like, I'm a bit, I'm just, I'm genuinely asking like, um, I've never seen the band. I like Dave Grohl as a person. I like some Foo Fighters songs. It was just like, not a band that, I was like a pop girl. It was not a band that's in my wheelhouse, but it is like, I appreciate all kinds of music and I love a lot of their songs and Kate's seen them a few yeah. times. I've seen them a few times. I, I play in a band, so like I'm into their sound, but I will say I was like a hits person. Like this is a very mm-hmm. deep dive for me. There are some albums here I don't think I've ever listened to. So. Right. So I would say I'm, I'm not uh, uh, the deepest of Foo Fighters fans, but I, I've definitely been a fan since, I don't know, like elementary school or something. I think it was a band yeah. that like was introduced to me and I, I knew it kind of as like the band that the drummer from Nirvana did later. And then now it's kind of sure. crazy how long Foo Fighters have been around and how much more of a like actually i don't know how relevant it is to kids today but you know it's a name that's still around i mean nirvana's been long disbanded so it's kind of weird that the spinoff band is of so much greater success just in terms of like you know how long they've been able to go and stuff um and i've seen foo fighters live and i think that i mean it's a great example of like seeing an artist you kind of like and then you see them live like oh shit these guys are great you know like yeah. so that was totally what happened for me and at that point i went back i think that was when they were touring um uh wasting light i think that's what it's called 
which is actually one of my uh, favorite albums of theirs. Okay. And so I went back from there to like, I knew Color and Shape, uh, obviously. And um, I knew, for some reason, I really knew Big Me from the first Foo Fighters album, which yeah. like is not, I think it's kind of a deep cut. Maybe not. It was, it was kind of a, like a, I don't want to say B-side because it was on the album, but it has It was become, like a smash. Yeah. yeah. Like with the fans, it's like a big one. Okay, cool. So see, yeah. I'm not even that deep of a fan because I don't even know how big Big Me is. But, um, Either way, that that's my history of them. I've seen them live. I enjoy them. Uh, I, I think you guys found me because I wrote up. I write, I write a lot about music and ranking things, and, and it's like so um, shallow for me to do so, but it's actually just an example, uh, a way for me to write about artists, and I do so about movies and stuff like that, too, in a, in a really career-spanning way. Mm. So I, I feel like that's um, of a kind of a mentality with what you guys are doing with, with this podcast too so. it totally is and and part of the reason i reached out to you there are many many people who have ranked foo albums and we've only gotten this far so i can't really say how i feel about them in total but you were the only one that listed this one kind of toward the middle and every other list i saw this was at the bottom so i was like oh no is this gonna be terrible but then i saw yours and i was like i have hope maybe this is not that bad <laughs> yeah and it's weird because like so i think a question at the very beginning of this before i rambled off into various different directions was is this a favorite and uh, on this list that I already exists, you can Google my name, Foo Fighters, and it'll come up. Um, I, and I included Hail Satin, their their DG. Yes, thing, yes. Which I <laughs> don't think do anyone. That one okay, too. great. We're so, gonna do that awesome. one. Yeah, because I of think course. it's like of course album sized enough as opposed to like an EP or something like that. Anyway, so um, so out of those like eleven, uh, it's number six. So I mean, it's like right in the middle, right? About yeah. as you can get with an uh, an odd number. And um, so I like it, but I think Foo Fighters are one of those bands that used to be like a favorite band, like when I was total middle school, high school, like I like rock music kind of kid. Um, and I think they've there's been diminishing returns with their new stuff for sure. Mm. And then even going back, I'm like, oh, I guess I don't like this as much as I used to. And I think One by One, which is the album we're talking about, I don't know if, if anyone's even mentioned the title yet or if I did, but um, that that one is like one of those with the the diminishing returns i think i still like it as we'll discuss i'm sure yeah 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 interesting we'll we'll get into it but okay good to know good to know where we're all starting off at yeah. kate and i up at this point are familiar with the first three albums because we've done this but that's i think like the most we yeah. know about their discography wow. really yeah. yeah well your previous episode then would have been because uh, there is nothing left to lose is my favorite of their albums so oh, yeah. yeah okay i mean it's so far is my favorite of what we've listened yeah. to i think color and shape is the like favorite to be the yeah. favorite, if that makes sense, but I think yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's too sparkly for me. Yeah. <laughs> did you just sparkly. say you like pop music? <laughs> you did. Yeah, but there's something about like we'll get into okay. it because yeah. there's a lot I like about this album oh. and for reasons we'll talk about. Oh, um, this is exciting. Okay. Yeah. So, Kate, do you want to get into the history? When we left the band, they had written "There Is Nothing Left to Lose" and they were touring it. Now. When they went on tour for this album, things were starting to get super repetitive and all of the guys were drinking too much. In fact, they were starting to get hammered before shows. And this is when Taylor started really struggling with drug use. He was really living like that rock and roll life. Dave actually had spoken to him a few times to say, like, I'm worried about you. You got to start reeling it in. And then when they played in London, <clears throat> Hawkins actually overdosed on heroin and was in a coma for two weeks. Oh, shit. Yeah. So it was a really serious time. 
in the documentary that I watched, which was made years after the fact, Dave actually starts crying, just like recounting it. So it really affected them on a deep level. Obviously, they needed to take a break and he needed to get better. And while that happened, Dave accepted an offer to uh, record drums for Queens of the Stone Ages album Songs for the Deaf. So he was keeping busy. A few months go by, Taylor's healing up, and they decide they're going to start recording this album one by one. And they start in Dave's studio, 606 in Virginia, which is where they recorded the previous album. It was December 2001, but things were not going well. They recorded six tracks, and then they needed a change of scenery, so they went to Conway Studios in L.A. in January. They recorded 29 songs. Which is insane. Yeah. Ten of them they knew were going to be for this album, and some of them were like one-offs and stuff, but it took four months. It cost over a million dollars. It was basically produced with Pro Tools, and at the time, none of them played with each other. Like, everyone recorded completely separately. Dave was super unhappy with it. He was embarrassed. He didn't want to promote it. He didn't want to put it out. He didn't like the sound. At this point, everyone was kind of fighting with each other. Um, They weren't, they, they just weren't vibing. So they decided to shelf it. They took another break. And then in April of 2002, all four of them kind of went their own ways. Dave became uh, the tour drummer for Queens of the Stone Age. Taylor played with Jane's Addiction bass player Eric Avery. Nate uh, played with the band Juno and reunited with William Goldsmith from Sunny Day Real Estate. And they uh, Mm -hmm. formed uh, the Fire Theft. And then Chris had a couple projects with his brother and he joined his former band, rejoined them. Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Didn't know he was in that band. So that's interesting. So the four of them kind of went separate, but... Later in April, they had to play Coachella. So they got together to rehearse for Coachella, and it was real bad. And they're all fighting with each other, and it was super terrible, and Taylor wanted to quit. Dave was actually playing two nights of Coachella, one with Foo Fighters and one with Queens of the Stone Age. That caused a lot of tension. But when they actually performed... They had a really good time. And something happened where they were like, we're friends again. Like, we can do this. Let's put our shit aside and get back together. So, the power of rock and roll. The power of rock and roll, right? So Dave and Taylor went to uh, California to rework some of the compositions. They went back to 606 to redo the drums and the vocals. Um, only over 12 days. They did it in a super, super short amount of time. Nate and Chris went to L.A. to do their parts. And they basically finished this in a two-week period before Dave left to go on tour with Queens of the Stone Age. So he was like, I gotta leave in two weeks. Let's get this done. They did it. And they kept that recording. And Sean, who was our guest on our previous episode, actually sent me the first set of recordings and they're not good. Really? Yeah. I can send you guys a link if you're interested. They're just not good. Like, like, it's the same songs, but like so you can tell something is way off. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So then to listen to this album, I was like, oh, he was right. Like they definitely had to redo this. So were those earlier versions, if I may interrupt, were they bootleg things set up, put out or have they officially released that in some weird box set thing somewhere? I don't think they officially released yeah, it. I, I think, think so. it was like Foo fans who like dug yeah. real deep and then they got leaked and they're out there. Wow, cool. um, I don't even think there's an image on the YouTube uh, video. Awesome. <laughs> it's like the, the blind cassette thing. So I just found that to be really interesting and then the only other bit of history i have is i researched the title one by one was pulled from a lyric on the first track all my life and dave says that the word one comes up pretty often in these songs and he's referencing either loneliness or continuation i also know no just so so random button to put on that but they were originally thinking one like the number one x as in by and then one originally as the stylization instead of the um the written out way so th- i mean who cares but also interesting <laughs> i know i actually think it is interesting because i feel like that gives it a different it totally does it's it, that title looks more like a house album like yes. you know like like or yeah thinking like uh 
nine inch nails. Oh yeah, like, industrial it's kind of scary. Yeah, like it's yeah. a little. Oh my scary gosh, looking. L- I have so much nine inch nails oh. now. It's- <laughs> oh god. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, Gabby, so why don't you tell us about this specific album, the release of it? Sure, okay. Uh, One by One was released on October 22nd, 2002 on Roswell Records via RCA Records. Uh, The album has been noted for its introspective lyrics and a heavier, more aggressive sound compared to their previous work, which Grohl said he intended that on purpose. He wanted to translate the energy of live performances into the recording, and after... Kate, your whole story about what really happened there, that makes a lot of sense as to why they chose to go in that direction. This was the first album recorded with Chris Shiflett as a part of the band, and this is also the first album where Dave Grohl did not play drums at all. This is 100% Taylor playing drums on all the songs. Well, let's jump into it then. Track one is All My Life. It is produced by the Foo Fighters, and I don't know if I'm going to say this person's name right. Nick Raskulinix. Okay, yeah. I didn't know how to... Rick R. He'll be Rick R. Or Nick R. Nick R. Nick R. Yeah, Nick yeah, yeah. R. Uh, written by Chris Shiflett, Nate Mendel, Taylor Hawkins, and Dave Grohl. And all of the credits are the same for every track on this album. So that is the only time I'm going to say that. Okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, this was also the first single, September 7th, 2002. So my thoughts are, fantastic opener. Uh, I think it's refreshing for me because I didn't love the previous album so much. It was like too soft and dreamy for me. So when I heard this, I was very excited. Like, okay, we're back into it. I think the chorus is fantastic. When Nate does that bass drop into it, you just like feel Mm. it. It's so good. I think the palm muting and the repetition in the bridge is like kind of foreboding. It's giving you that darkness that we're anticipating. And then a couple quotes from Dave from Foo Archive. It's one of the most aggressive songs we've ever written. It's kind of dark and dissonant, but really in your face. It begins with a vocal and guitar, and then it explodes even bigger and just keeps going and going. This song is a little dirty. Use your imagination. So in my research, the song is supposedly very sexual. In some of the lyrics, it makes sense. But in some of the lyrics, it really doesn't. So I don't really... Ooh, that's interesting. It's about... uh, Well, so according to Genius, it's about him giving oral sex to women, which is like, great. I love that you wrote an anthem for it. (laughs) All his life, too. He was was early. He was was on that game before people were being shamed on social media for it, like DJ Khaled. So he was... Go go Dave Grohl. Like, this is progressive for 2002. So... (laughs) Um, This song also won a Grammy for the best hard rock performance. Oh, cool. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Tristan? Yeah. So I, I think All My Life is like one of their best songs slash one of their best known. Like, I don't know if I, it's like a favorite necessarily, but I think it is like... It's just, especially like growing up, I, I was pretty young when this this album came out, but like I, I remember that being on the radio, right? This and Times mm-hmm. Like yeah. These were like the two from this album that really hit. Mm. So, I, I mean, I think it's a great song, as we'll get into, I think, at some point. It's not my favorite uh, on the album, but it's up there because it's... Uh, I don't know. It's just so catchy, and it, it it does have the darker side. I always I find it interesting sometimes when people describe their music as like this is the darker album. And I listen to it, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I I hear that, but I, I'm like sometimes expecting like something more like in utero, for example, which I think is truly like a dark warping of Nevermind. Yes. And this is just like okay, we're getting like more rocky. And as I note uh, noted before that like, and you hear it right away in this song. It's like. They're starting to become these like kind of like millennial. They're not millennials, but I'm in the sense of being in the early 2000s. Like rock is still alive, kind of thing, mm-hmm. which yes. grows thin 
throughout this the next couple of decades. Um, and, and they revived it really well on, on Wasting Light. But otherwise, like I'm starting to hear that right away. And the, even though I like All My Life, again, that diminishing return thing. So there's my mm. slightly negative, slightly positive yeah. perspective on it. I hear that. I think it's a killer opener. Like, I don't think yeah. there's you can have a better opener on a Foo Fighters album. Up until this point, like, this song is a great one out the gate. Yeah. I was very well aware of this song, and I I was not sure when this was going to show up on, on this journey that we're going on, so I'm very glad that early on <laughs> we get this song. But my Nine Inch Nails note is this sounds like Diet Nine Inch Nails. This is Nine Inch Nails Light. A little this song. bit. You know, it's funny because throughout, I actually reference Queens of the Stone Age. I hear a lot yeah. of that, you know, and it's yeah, not even yes. just because of like what he was doing at the time, but like, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't want to say like it's Queens light or or he's copying, but you can definitely tell he's been listening. I'm going to say this it. Stuff. Oh, okay. Gabby's Gabby's throwing hands, everybody. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going to say it. This is and I, like, I get it. Like, I get that he was probably super influenced by being on the road yeah. with that band. Um, it just wasn't necessarily what I was expecting when I'm like reading up on this album and I'm like, it's darker, it's more live. And I'm like, it's Nine Inch Nails. Right, right. Okay. I Seems weird, but I don't hate it. I really, really like the song. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a really good one. All right, track two, Low. Low was the third single, June 23rd, 2003. This one made me think of System of a Down. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else heard that, but I was like, where the fuck are we going? Like, I I was like, I don't know if I like this. Um, but I, I, given that, I do like the energy. I like that it's yes. kind of eerie. I do think that it stays in one spot. I can't tell the difference between the verse and the chorus. Like, I was kind mm-hmm. of waiting the whole time. I was like, is this one long verse? Like, what is happening here? I would have liked for all that tension to go somewhere. I do think it's way too long at four minutes and 28 seconds. It's like kind of crazy. I have an issue with a lot of that, of the songs on this Yeah, album. that's one of my closing notes for sure. They're too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then a quote from Dave. Uh, this is another really aggressive song. Sounds like a machine roaring. It's pretty amazing. The lyrics are kind of sultry. It's about two people getting together because they realize they have more fun fucking each other than anyone else. It's kind of deep. I just thought that was really funny that that's how he worded it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of deep. It's kind of deep. Um, but then he said it kind of reminds him of older Soundgarden. And and he says uh, uh, some of it reminds me of weird Black Flag. So I don't know if I agree with those two, but... No, so something actually this is so interesting I should have brought up earlier that I was planning on starting... I don't know if you guys... You mentioned a documentary earlier, Kate, Mm -hmm. but there's that docu-series, Sonic Highways, that they did chronicling the making slash just... It's like a travel show about the music history of of, uh, different cities, but... um, that was such a funny thing to start this week. Um, and in the second episode, they're in D.C. Um, and they're ah. talking about... Because, you know, uh, Grohl is from that area. Yeah. And um, all those D.C. punk bands that um, he got into and liked. And, I, and like, I can see that influence. But again, it, like, at some point in their career, it, like, it swings out of punk as... And I'm a, I'm a big, you know, Black Flag I, I love and stuff like that. This does not really sound like Black Flag Yeah, no way. No. No way. I would, at, at no era would I say Foo Fighters were punk. You get the, right. you know, and no one would really, but I think the, they talk about that influence a lot and you can he- kind of hear that on certain things. You can kind of hear the influence, but Black Flag is like really, that's far yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. My note was, okay, so this album is heavy. Right. <laughs> I did have the same note about the energy. I really like the energy. Like I, 
knowing that they meant to make it sound like live energy i was like okay cool i like where we're going here like went to 100 yeah i kind of like darker metalier dave okay so far at this point i'm all in to this album wow gabby i am surprised I mean, just wait. Wait till you get to Wasting Light <laughs> because he screams on that album in like a really... Wow. He hasn't sound better since, sounded better since since then in the, in the 10 years or so. So if you like that, wow. I think I'll, I'll give you... I'm ready yeah. for it. <laughs> all right. Track three, Have It All. Well, Tristan, did you have any other notes oh, no, on no, that no, one? Oh, no, no, no. I'm okay, ready okay. to move on from low. It's, it's actually, cool. <laughs> Have It All, I'll, I mean, if you don't mind, I'll just say that like that, that track, I think the like first four tracks because i think number four is times like these yes is like great i think even though low is like you know in the foo fighters canon not like amazing it's like okay this is good we're going somewhere and we'll as we'll get into it i'm sure i feel like the back half slides off but i think um have it all continues it i think it's more like playful in the chorus of you know i listened to this album a few times to get um uh, prepared for this, but sometimes music goes like in and out, and I've had uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID brain fog, so like I'm like rambling um, and stuff like that. Sorry, dude. but that's no, okay. But um, but yeah, so I think I'm remembering correctly that it's kind of a playful chorus compared to the first two um, tracks on this album. So I like it. It definitely is. Um, Have it all was the fourth single, September twenty second, two thousand three. And my first note is I really love the opening riff on this, and to me, this sounds like Queens of the Stone Age meets The Strokes. Oh, that's a good that's a that good match. Diddy he's doing. I was like, this is so weird, but so much fun. It, it freaked yes. me out. It freaked me out. Um, great melody. I think the chorus is so pretty, and this goes back to what we said about the previous albums, where he can combine two completely different sounds, and it just fits. Yeah. Also very long. It's almost five minutes, but I really enjoyed it, so I didn't mind it. And then a quote from Dave from Foo Archive. This is basically just a song with a cool up-tempo groove, and the chorus blows up into these really big sweeping three-part harmonies, and the end is the most fucking rock thing we could possibly figure out. The end starts exploding until it's so fucking chaotic, and then it just stops on a dime. So I think he likes this one. I think he really likes it. I think so, too. I think that's safe (laughs) to say. I have pretty much the same notes. I wrote, super groovy. So groovy. Groovy is a great that was my word. Super groovy. And I'm, and oh, finally, we got a little melody in the chorus. Like, he does. They're good at that. So I'm glad that this album isn't, like, completely cutting that out. Yes. Um, so a good part to dip a little back into some nice melodies and harmonies and stuff like that. For sure. For sure. Uh, okay. Track four, Times Like These. This was the second single, January 14th, 2003. I also think this would have made a really good album opener or closer. I was disappointed this wasn't later in the album. I do agree with what Tristan said. First couple songs, I was like, I'm about it. And then halfway through, I was like, oh, I think I understand why what people were saying. Uh-huh. I feel like this is such an inspirational song. To me, it's about like new beginnings. It's only two verses, and then the chorus happens forever. When I was looking at the lyrics, I was like, this is so long, but it's not. It's just the chorus again and again, which really does show you how great he is at melodies and rhythms, because the song is still very good yeah and it was written when the bands got back together after the really big fight so it literally is kind of about starting over and and figuring out how you want to how do you want to move forward an interesting tidbit i found is that this song was used by some of george w bush's presidential campaign rallies in 04 and dave hates george bush like cannot stand the man understandably yeah i mean you know <laughs> so and he doesn't like to be political but 
<laughs> because he hates George Bush so much, he let John Kerry use the song for his campaign. So he was like, no, you cannot, but you can use this. So he was so petty that he like took it from one, gave it to the other. I just thought that was like super amazing. Another fun fact, and I should have looked deeper. Did you guys know that Dave ran per- for president in 2008? No. Dave Grohl ran for president. How did we miss that? Probably because he got like two votes. <laughs> <laughs> he, apparently he ran for, and it was like a joke or whatever. But I was like, ahead of your time, bro. Because if you had done that four yeah. years ago, you would have been in. Like you missed it. I'm so disappointed. I could vote then. I could have <laughs> voted for him. Maybe we should write him in. I don't know. Maybe if enough people hear this, we can write him in and he could do it. I don't know. Was this song in Guitar Hero? It could be. I had I had Guitar Hero 1 and 2. I'm like uh, I'm I'm just I was so familiar with every part of this song and t- like I've heard it a million times obviously, but yeah. like listening to it again, I was like why do I like know every part of it? Were you like playing so, it? You were like, I can play this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, green, blue, yellow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, it it's cool. It Most been. melodic song so far. I thought it was interesting the track placement for it to come after the other one with a little bit. Yeah. So I was kind of like interested in where we were going to go from here. I thought like the heavy rocking was over. Right. 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 We'll see. Tristan, how do you feel about yeah, this one? I, I, this is my favorite track on the album, which, like, I, nice. I, I actually am, too. I, I gave you some shit earlier, Gabby, for saying you, like, pop. <laughs> I, I'm, like, so pop-minded. Like, every like sometimes I get in trouble with my list because I'm like, this is my favorite album by, um, you know, AFI or whatever. And, and people are like, You're, you didn't pick, like, the horror punk days? I'm like, no, I like their, you know, right. good hit, you know, hit kind of poppy songs. Yeah. That's still pop-punk kind of style. So... I'm totally inclined like that too. And uh, this is like, it gives me like Everlong or Learn to Fly vibes a little bit. Mm, And Mm -hmm. those are like, I think two of my favorite Foo Fighters songs, if not my favorite. So uh, that's, that would be like my takeaway from this track. And and you're right, Kay, like either opening with the best or ending with with the best. And also since it's like a little bit like lighter, might've been um, better, but yeah, I I mean, I love this song. It's not like my favorite of their big hits, but it's, it's in the, uh, in the running. It's a solid one. And I didn't realize it was on this album because, like, based on everything you just said, I'm kind of surprised because it does kind of straddle, to me, the color and the shape and there is nothing left to lose. It doesn't really fit with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it's on, though. And one fun fact I forgot to mention, which I just thought was really awkward that he would admit to this, but, like, I guess it happened. So that producer, Nick R. Nick Reskulinix. There you go. He produced this song, but Dave explained during an episode of Essentials Radio on Apple Music that he recruited the wrong Nick. Um, he meant to call the former Queens of the Stone Age bass player Nick Oliveri. Shut up. And he Shut dialed up. he dialed the wrong number. And when Nick R answered, he he knew him. He says, I knew him from Sound City. He's a great engineer and he worked for that studio for years. So Dave was just like do you want to produce this song? <laughs> but it was the wrong Nick. Uh, but maybe the right move. I don't know. Maybe the right move. It's a great song. That's fucking funny. Yeah. So, so weird. But because you can't backtrack from that. I have a similar story where I called a friend of mine, Justin, that I used to work with or I thought it was him. And I asked him to be my date to a friend's wedding. Oh, shit. And he was like really weird about it. And he was like, sure, I guess. And 
hung up the phone and I'm like, why was he weird about it? Like, that's my bro. Oh, no. And then I had looked at my phone again and I had called a different Justin that I went to high school with that I hadn't talked to for like five years. Gabby, what the fuck? You didn't recognize from his voice? No, I I know. And so I called him back right away and I was like, yo, I called the wrong Justin. And he was like, oh, I thought this was weird. I was like, yeah, hope you're well. (laughs) Just forget this happened, please. (laughs) They had very similar last names. It was like Maury and Maurer. So I and both Justin. So they were in my phone. That sounds like the premise for like a a Ross storyline on Friends where like he like yeah, a girl he totally like pined different. over for years in high school or whatever gives him a call and then he's like oh and then at the end you realize it's not for him it's just like that's hilarious wrong wrong <laughs> yeah wow wow that's yeah amazing. it was weird it was weird um all right let's move on uh track five disenchanted lullaby okay so this one we just went completely left field total 60s headspace with the verses and at first i was like this is totally schizophrenic i'm not about it uh but the longer i listened the more i liked it and I, I feel like for me, especially in the second half of the album, that keeps happening to me. Like the beginning of the song throws me off and then I'm like, oh, this is actually a really good song. I tried to interpret some of the lyrics. I feel like in general he's getting better with his lyric writing, but it's still very vague to me. I think it might be about not being able to escape a relationship with someone because you just know each other too well. Like you're just too comfortable to leave. Mm. That's the vibe that I got. But I didn't have too many fun facts or other information on this one, so I don't know. Yeah, and I can't really share much insight because I, I kind of proclaim myself like as not much of a lyric guy, not because I'm mm-hmm. so advanced and I only listen to the themes. Right. I just like literally <laughs> right. can't tune in. Like sometimes, you yeah. know, no, there's, yeah. there's songs that I That's like your way. Know every word to, of course. Like, so yeah. I mean, I have a Weezer tattoo, so I mean, really, I'm a huge nice. nerd. But, but like, <laughs> for some reason, Foo Fighters lyrics have never been something I really dive into too much. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're, they just. I don't know them, if they're very deep. Yeah, I don't. They, I get the emotion of the song, you know, from from the music, and it's weird because in this era post 9-11 there were so many albums that were even made before 9-11 finally got released that people were like finding all this like oh this is like in David Bowie's newest album Heathens I think it was like there's all this 9-11 commentaries like I I recorded all those before 9-11 like it's just it's just (laughs) it's just generic criticism of America but yeah sure you can interpret so like sometimes I get hung up on that interpretation stuff too and then like the people will come out and be like yeah but you know once you release art it's no longer yours for interpretation so it still can be powerful but i I have nothing else to share about that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i really liked this song and it it was it did like hit me in the face and i was like okay i kind of love this i love that how angry it is but i'm also kind of in a fight with my boyfriend right now so this song in particular is like kind of on my level today so i was like cool i'm vibing with this one i thought Production wise, guitar wise, there's like a really light guitar picking like riff that carries throughout the entire song. And I was trying to like tune it out. So I was just listening to that part. And it kind of sounds like a lullaby. So I'm into that. I like this song, but I think it gets into a slurry after this, which I guess maybe I was teeing you up for the next few closing track. Oh, yeah. From here on out, it goes very downhill very quickly for me. Oh, oh, all right. All right. Very quickly for me. Track six, Tired of You. This is uh, same production and writing credits, but this is featuring Brian May of Queen on guitar. Yeah, I was really surprised with this one. Initially, I didn't know how to feel about it, but around the time the second guitar comes in, 
I have like an aha moment where I'm like, oh, I get what the point of this was, like sonically. I do think it's very cool and risky of Dave, really, because it's really just him on this with with Brian May to change things up so much in the middle of this album. It's not real. He doesn't so far hasn't done this on any other album where he just has like a super simple palate cleanser happening. So I thought that was just an interesting choice. A lot of fan theories about what the song is about, which really surprised me. Um, one fan theory was someone trying to convince themselves they're happy in a re- in a relationship that they're not. Another was two people who keep cheating on each other but coming back to each other. And one that made me laugh was prostitution. I don't know where the people are getting this from, but I put prostitution, LOL. I don't really know what that meant. But I just think it's really cool, too, that he, you know, at this point, he's able to start working with heroes of his so that he would have someone from Queen on this album. I just thought it was like, it was really good. So I like the song. I don't love the song, but I thought it was a really smart choice for this album. Yeah. Tristan, what do you think? I don't think I have any. I mean, I think, um, as I just said, I think it goes into a slurry. I didn't even realize that Brian May was on it until I actually did see that just before. I was like, I should look a little bit more information about the album itself, (laughs) just so I'm aware. But... And I and I like Queen, but I'm not like a Queen head, so I I wouldn't necessarily notice that same that tone that people some nerds can really pick out. But yeah, I think it like enlivens the um, the song to some extent. But I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think this is in like since it's literally in the back half of the album. I think it's in the back half of quality too. For, mm, for yeah. Yeah, I was very excited when I was when I read that Brian May is on the song because I'm a huge Queen fan. A huge queen. Could fan. you tell? Like, does it sound? I, 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 and this is like the his specific guitar sound is called the Red Light Special. Oh. Uh, so I was waiting for the Red Light Special, and by the time I could finally tell where it was, I was just disappointed. It's oh. not as prominent as it should be throughout the song. If you're gonna have Brian May on a fucking song, you need to feature that. Right, right. And I felt like. He agreed to do this, and they just kind of shoved him on this weird track that is kind of really boring. Mm. I did not like this song at all. I was, like, waiting for the momentum to increase. I was waiting for it to go somewhere. Yeah. But it went nowhere. And, like, Brian May just added to my complete disappointment. Like So sad. I was very upset. I think it's one of those examples of, like, it's, like, almost like stunt casting for, for movies and stuff where it's, like, Hey, this like legend is featured on this song or whatever, and then like you don't really bring their sound or style to it. It kind of feels um, cheap. So yeah, I was like, you. Why would you even put his name on right, this? Right, right, right. Yikes! I would be embarrassed. <laughs> well, I think Brian May has some other things to be embarrassed about beyond. But. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, yes, but uh, whatever. I was just bummed. So I felt like by the time we got to this song, I was like, something is changing. It, like we started off pretty strong. Okay. And as as I say many times, Kate, it's in the middle for a reason. That's so that's I was your very trademark. interested to see what why. Which leads us into track seven, yes. Halo. Okay, Halo. My first note is, this sounds like Tom Petty to me. We're kind of back to like a classic rock vibe. My favorite line is, and it might be one of my favorite lines out of the whole album, is, guess that I've been blessed, but I'll be damned. I just really love when people are able to take a lyric and... Uh, Tristan, I don't know if you're a Taylor Swift fan, but all of season one was Taylor Swift. She does a lot of opposites in her lyrics, and I really love when people do that. So that one stood out to me. I was wondering if this is 
truly a religious song. Like, I know it's Halo and he's talking about heaven and hell. And then I kind of went into this deep dive to see if Dave is a religious person. He's not. He sees music as his, his religion. He's one of those, which is, like, fine. But I just thought it was interesting. And then I was like, well, that's fine. Right, but I was like, why would you write this song then if you're not? And I just think the song, especially about everything that happened with Taylor before this came out, and, you know, Kurt and everything, I'm wondering if he kind of sees himself as just, like, getting very lucky. He keeps lucking out, like, he's living this rock star life. A lot of people he's met at this point have met tragic ends, but he's not, and he keeps coming out mm. on top. So I kind of saw it as this thing where, like, some I have a halo, I have a guardian, whatever the however you want to phrase it. Like he just keeps getting lucky. Yeah, maybe he was playing a lot of Halo, which was newly released for the Xbox video game console in the could, prior year. It could have been that simple. Yeah, it could have been <laughs> no, that simple. I think that is a great <laughs> theory. Tristan. I think your theory. Thank Kate, you for is, bringing that to the I table. Think yours is much better and uh, probably more uh, closer to the truth. So. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But then a quote from him from Foo Archive, and I swear I read this after the fact. He says, the groove reminds me of Tom Petty. So when I read that, I was like, oh my God, same brain. Okay. You called it. But then he says, the middle reminds me of Cheap Trick. The chorus reminds me of Guided by Voices with this melodic kind of walking down the street rhythm. It's a good driving song. It also reminds me of My Poor Brain from the second record, which I completely disagree with because I loved My Poor Brain. And yeah, there's no way. Not on that level. Not on that level. I, yeah, I feel like this one, when it came in, it reminded me of like Foo on the previous three albums. Like I could hear this song on one of those other albums sure. more than I feel like it should belong here. But, and I don't know if I was like so upset by uh, Tired of You that I was just, <laughs> just like, I, like I can't, <laughs> yeah, like I can't really digest this. I'm not sure if it's not a good song or if I'm not appreciating it fully because I'm upset at what just happened right. at Brian May specifically but, yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, it just didn't really do a lot for me it picks up after the second verse which I appreciated yeah because that kind of like woke me up a little bit but I still at the end I was like I could have done without this yeah I I, I, th- I agree with the sense that like it could have been on the previous three albums but ironically since I like all three of those albums albums more mm. i think this is one of the worst tracks on it like it just like it's like so I, I use this i'm like not a musician i'm not a even though i tried to play bass guitar in middle school or whatever um and i uh don't really have like the language to um write about music the way i do about film since i have a master's degree in that and teach it and stuff but i, I feel like the word i use a lot for songs like this is just is malaise where it like settles into this like kind of like just totally like in one ear out the other kind of like yes. not bad or offensive or dissonant, but also like right. not anything that gets me moving or excited or even you know moved in an like elevator sense. music. Yeah, exactly. And um, it obviously has more of a texture than that, but sure, <laughs> it's not. It's just I don't know. It's it's really. Um, Malaysia to me. <laughs> Malaysia. I, like I agree with this. I like that term. I agree with this. We're going to borrow that for future episodes. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Let's keep malazing through this yeah. <laughs> because it's getting bad on the back half. Oh, uh, no. Track eight, Lonely Is You. Okay, Lonely Is You. Um, I really like how this started. I thought it was nice to have the clean guitar and the soft singing. I like the melody in the verse very much, but this one loses me the, f- the more it goes. I just find the chorus not to be catchy at all. I just kind of wanted more verse. And I think lyrically, it's just so generic. It was kind of like, 
you're just writing to write at this point. You, you, this is just filler. With 29 recorded songs, I don't know why. I don't know how bad the other ones were, but if you chose this, They must be horrible. They must be so bad. Yeah. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't. This song is bad. And I just feel like they threw sounds in. The ah, ooh, oohs. It's a little... In the background. Yeah. It's a, what it's are they there bad. for? They don't bring anything to the song. I was very confused. I thought this song was complete chaos. Just everything about every decision was chaos. Like there's at the end, there's like a screaming part and the ah oohs are like backing up the screaming. And I'm just like, that doesn't go. Right. Like why? <laughs> right. Who made this decision? Yeah, I, I think um, <sighs> it, this is my uh, it, it borders the malaise and offensive part more closely to offensive <laughs> because it's not like I don't I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, there's actually very little Foo Fighters that I think is like really bad. I agree. Um, but yeah. it is like it's bordering on that really close. So, I, I mean, this is my least favorite track from this from this album uh, as well. So, yeah, it's really not good. It's weird. Um, it's a rough one. It, it picked up a little bit in the verses after that. The intro, because I think yeah. the intro is like just guitar. So I thought I thought we were going to go somewhere. Yeah. But it just, it was really weird production and sonic choices. Just, it felt very not like them. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. All right, track nine, Overdrive. Overdrive. I think this song is excellent. You can tell the minute the song starts that it's good. Um, I do feel like they're kind of going back to their sweet spot. If I heard this out of context on the radio, I'd be like, oh, that's Foo Fighters. Like, you would just know immediately. Mm. It has a little bit less of an edge. There's less experimenting happening, but I think that's why it's good. I think the melody in the verse and the chorus are almost the same, but it's so good that it doesn't matter. Like, I listened to it a few times in a row to, like, hear the differences. There's, like, one or two note changes. It's just that good to me. To your point, Tristan, you had mentioned punk before. So there's a quote from Dave on this one. He says... This is one of our up-tempo punk pop songs on the record. The rest of them aren't like that. But this one is a song that you would hear and say, oh, yeah, dude, that's the Foo Fighters. The other songs, you might you might be kind of quizzed to guess who the fuck you're listening to right off the top of your head. But when he said pop punk, I was like, I don't think I would ever describe this song as punk. No. No, but I, I think I get what he's getting at a little bit with the pop punk thing. Because like, if you think about Blink-182 at this time, like I, I kind of mm. like it's just it's so crazy that at one time alternative music was like a genre they applied to this and right. Blink-182 and like, I mean, earlier, but then continuing like REM. It's like, why? Yeah. You know, it's like even he, I think, is falling prey to that thing that other people are doing to him where he's like comparing and I'm like I mean who knows the songs better than Dave Grohl not me obviously but I'm so like but were these things he said at the time or is this are these reflections like years later they're like interviews around the time of the release because there's a lot of times where and I don't know if if I had already said it or if it's coming up or even if it's this album but he'll say like this is the best song we've ever written and I'm like clearly that's not true like clearly that's not true so I think he's speaking in terms of like in the year that this came out right it's just so weird because i guess it's like a a sellability thing because like i i I come from a criticism background as well it's like weird for like when you see like a someone review an album they go go, it's this meets this and then it's like it kind of like i don't know dilutes what the actual music is because then people are like locked into compare oh no it doesn't actually sound you know like that or whatever right so it's weird that he's like doing that to his own music and i guess he's acknowledging yeah. influences and stuff like that but it is strange i do that all the time by the way it's i'm not i'm like guilty sure. of saying like you know so and so sounds like this 20 yeah. years ago or whatever it's a good sh- shorthand but it's so i'm just i've been uh, taken aback as you 
pull out these good nuggets from from throughout the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the only thing I forgot to mention is I, on some fan site they left a comment, and these I don't know who these people are. I don't know how accurate this is, um, but the person says this has only been played live nine times, and I don't know if they mean Ooh. at the time, but I've seen them twice, and I don't think they played this song, so I don't know if this is like part of their regular catalog. I think it should be. It could be. It could be maybe only nine times. That's there are people who track that. I mean, like, there's like like really specific. Yeah, there's a set list website yeah. where you can see set lists for every show. Yeah. So I bet that's pretty accurate. But maybe, I feel like this is a good one. Maybe they would include it recently, but like because some yeah, some yeah. bands will will go back to those deep cuts. I don't know when that comment was made, but like true, you know, true, it's, true, true. It's, I could see it being in the repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. I could hear this song on the color in the shape when I heard it. I was okay. like, I feel like it should be there. Like it sounds very produced. Yes. Where I think everything on the color in the sh- and the shape sounds very produced. Yeah, I agree. And then learning Kate, what you shared earlier about the history of these songs, like it's very likely this song is incredibly has gone through many production iterations to make it sound the way it sounds. I don't hate it. I just felt like the ending was too late. Okay. Like it drags out mm-hmm. too long. Mm-hmm. And the later, the further I get into the track listing at this point, I'm notating that all these songs could be a minute shorter. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's just where my headspace is with the album at right. this moment. Like, now everything is too long. Brian May fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> Downhill from Brian May. Downhill from Brian May, Rough. unfortunately. <laughs> all right, track 10 Burn Away. Burn Away, super heavy, but still somehow melodic. Uh, this one I felt I described it as sloggy I feel like the whole song is kind of in slow motion I don't know it gave me like a weird vibe it's super long I actually think this would have been a better closer than the one that they chose (sighs) let's get into that shit in a minute yeah yeah Um, and then a quote from Dave he says this is one of our more romantic tunes but with a tuned down guitar riff that's really behind the beat so it's probably another uh, one of the heaviest songs we've ever recorded although the song itself is basically a love song so I think the fact that the guitar is kind of behind the beat is maybe where I'm getting that like slow motion thing like I feel like they're dragging you through the whole song which like poetically if it's a love song I guess it makes sense but it was just kind of hard for me to listen to like I don't think it's bad but I was kind of like Let's go. Let's go. Like, what's happening here? Yeah, I, f- I didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. Go ahead, Tristan. Go yeah, ahead. I'll jump I, in. I just, I, I, I feel like I'm really a, a broken record, as it were. But like, yeah, I just like the 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 slog is is a good word to use because um, by now I just wanted the album to be really over and it's i sound so negative because i don't think this is like you know compare this to like so much other rock music of the day it's not a bad album at all yeah it's just it just it's not a um it it's not an album a song that it makes me want to keep listening or move or any any of those other qualities that i expect from from Foo Fighters, so right, I agree, I totally agree. Yeah, there. When the minute it opened, I was like, "Is this whole? Is he covering a whole oh, song?" No. Oh God, because they those two have a thing. So I feel like on some level, Dave is trolling Courtney Love. Oh, maybe on some level, maybe. And then the more it went on, like his singing style. My next bullet point was: Is this Creed? What is happening? <laughs> oh no, not Creed! Yikes! <laughs> it, yeah, it, it just is. <laughs> It's getting worse from here. Like the more I listened to the song twice, and I was like, he could be standing on a rock with one leg up, like Scott near a river. Yeah, I mean, like it's fucked up. Ugh, it's not right. I'm not a fan. Oh no. 
Not a fan. All right, track 11, Come Back. All right, Come Back. As soon as the song started, I heard Bush. It, and I couldn't get out of it. Like, I hear you. I just ya. thought of Bush the whole time. Bush isn't bad, but Bush has a sound. And like after a while, I'm like, all right, got it. The melody to me was very Queens of the Stone Age. I guess with all these comparisons, I'm just not hearing Foo Fighters. I think that's why Overdrive got me so excited because I was like, oh, there they are. And like in all these other ones, mm. they don't sound like them. Also, another like potentially rough comparison coming up. I wrote that the chorus almost has a Nickelback thing happening. And then in parentheses and caps, I wrote, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know if that's exactly what it is. I was trying to think of, like, the genre that Nickelback is, and it's like... Butt rock. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. And I was like, this just makes me think of that. Like, I think that this would be on a Nickelback playlist. I don't know. But I did say that it did go somewhere interesting around the two-minute mark when they get, like, kind of slow and mellow and acoustic. So yes. I was glad that I hung on for that long. I understand why it's the closer, but... I, I, it's just like unnecessary I don't know I don't do long jammy jams yeah it's not my thing you're hitting me with like in, an instrumental jam and like momentum changes which are cool and interesting like that's exciting to listen to yeah but it's a jammy jam uh, uh, it's why is it so long it's too long it's too long I, I was at the three minute mark and I'm looking and I'm like there's four more minutes I, left that's I unnecessary the bar and I was like we can't be halfway through we can't oh be my god <laughs> it was painful and just this is not a good closer this is not a good song I was not no I'm not happy Tristan, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I'm actually, I'm not a jammy jam person, whatever we were saying. But I, I think sometimes, okay, I, got, I have to bring up Weezer again, like a, a total please, um, please do. incel yeah. or something. <laughs> but like, I, like the um, Only in Dreams is like, an, on the Blue Album is like an incredible closer, total jam, yes. eight minutes, good. So you have to be like really on your game. And of course, there's many great rock acts that have done that well. But really on the whole, I agree. I'm like not inclined to like that and that is felt on this song and i think it really drove home the comparisons that were just made about creed nickelback there's this i think the decade of the 2000s not like the 22 years we've had so far but that first right 10, right yeah might be the worst decade for rock music it was it, rock. it or the 80s i mean like uh, like yeah. I, like <laughs> but there's really cool stuff like pixies and like you know the, the smiths or what you know there was sure cool, sure and of yeah. course there were the strokes in the 2000s it's 10 years there's a lot of good stuff in it but i think on the whole the popular stuff in the 2000s sucked and so i think foo fighters were yeah. falling prey to that as well they had three albums under their belt they were kind of like i don't know casting around for where they were going and this is like the end of like short-haired like clean shaven uh really goofy dave like obviously he's still very goofy and i think he, he yes. has to become some weird dude now than he was then but yeah i think they started to go into that let's rock vibe as opposed to like doing kind of a weird poppy punky sidestep from like the nirvana baggage mm -hmm. and then it's now into this like like i said earlier like millennial era of like butt rock um and yeah. they started to work with that a lot more and it's um disappointing and this is the i think this is the dividing line between those eras as it were so wow yeah i hear that i feel like overall for the album i i i understand and i see and i can hear the live show energy that they were really trying to get yeah but you can also hear that they were not very into each other there's a you disconnect. can hear that yeah yeah that it's very disconnected 
where I feel like, uh, you know, on previous albums, that's not a thing. Like, you can tell they've had a good time putting this shit together. Yeah. And overall, like, it started really strong, and I was just really disappointed. Yeah. Disappointed. One of the things I had was that I don't think this is a bad album. And to kind of what Tristan Mm. said, like, I don't really think they have a bad song. I can appreciate something different in each of these songs, but I do think... It's a complete 180 in terms of the sounds from There Is Nothing Left to Lose. And I think that, to me, is not surprising that a lot of people who love that album didn't like this one. I think it might have been yeah. like too much change too soon. Uh, one of my overall notes was every single song is 30 seconds to one minute too long. I think if they had yes. edited, it would have had a much better reception. Because even if you didn't love the song, it wouldn't have lasted that long. And you would have been like, yeah, that's okay. Like, I don't hate it. Yeah, you would be being tortured for almost five minutes. You kind of felt like you had to. And the other thing, too, is he said in There's Nothing Left to Lose, it was all about melody. And I think he lost that for this. Some of them have great melody and some of them don't have great melody at all. This is just about rock and roll. Yeah, just I, hate, rock and I hate that. I mean, I unironically love ACDC, <laughs> but like, at the same, I like kind of like they get a pass because they're Australian and whatever, but right. like, but like, right, it, right. you know, and they invented that to some extent, but yeah. like, so, but sometimes <laughs> I just like hate that inclination. And especially if it sounds like this, like sometimes people say yeah. that and I'm totally in, it sounds good, but this yes. was just yes. bad pairing. Yeah. Not great. Not great. Well, look guys, what we, usually do a thing favorite yes. least favorite and your underdog yeah so tristan we're gonna start with you um okay so i think i mentioned throughout and i have a note here that i gotta pull up so favorite is times like these not really okay. um uh surprising i guess since it's one of the two huge hits from the um, album and then my least favorite is lonely as you mm-hmm. um and then underdog is not uh all my life although that would be like my honorable mention i think low or um have it all would be the kind of the underdogs okay Um, so that's my 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 picks nice those are solid what about you kate i was actually surprised because i was so familiar with the singles my favorite was have it all i really don't know if i had heard it before really listening to this and i just love it i think it's super quirky and edgy and it has that weird foo fighter stamp on it i just really like it least favorite i agree lonely as you I just, I didn't hate it, but of all these, I just don't want to hear it again. Um, And Mm. then more of an honorable mention than an underdog, because it is good. I just forgot how much I liked Overdrive. It's just so good. And I kind of feel bad that it was lumped into this album because I don't think it fits. I think he's like trapped in here and he doesn't belong in there. He should be somewhere else. Mm. Someone fight for uh, for Overdrive. Yeah, please. All right, Gabby, what do you Overdrive needs to be advocated for. <laughs> um, my favorite is All My Life. Okay. I fucking love that song. That song it's a great is song. a fucking banger. Yeah. My least favorite should be no surprise. It's Tired of You. I'm upset. Yeah. Sorry. And my underdog <laughs> is going to be Disenchanted Lullaby. That's a good underdog. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, Tristan, thank you so much for joining us. Like, this was really yeah, fun. Yeah, of course. It was. And Tristan, you got a bunch of online stuff, right? Plug all your stuff. What's your podcast? Yeah, I'm I'm chronically online as the kids say. Yeah. No, um <laughs> I uh I do host a podcast kind of similar to this one. I don't uh, it's called Buttheads and so my I um my professional name is associated with a podcast called Buttheads where I have like a cartoon <laughs> butt coming out of my head. Love Thankfully, that. Perfect. Academia is relatively tolerant of things like that. Um <laughs> but yeah, we we um go through a thing 
and rank all the installments as we go. So for the first season, we're doing the Legend of Zelda video game cool. series. We're not staying on video games. Next season, we're going to do Studio Ghibli movies. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those movies, but uh, great anime okay. movies. And then at some point, maybe albums as well. Um, so actually, kind of a similar concept. We die, like do a whole episode on an installment of a thing. Nice. Um, so uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I'm like on... TikTok now. I've been making Ooh. content on it, as they say. Nice. Uh, Todd E T T L E T O D D, and that's like my Twitter and uh, Instagram and whatever. And then my medium is, I think, T R Edelman. Yes. So yeah, I'm all over the place. I mean, find me if you want or not. So definitely find <laughs> no them. I found them, and I don't have credit. So <laughs> actually, those those medium articles get like a ton of like I have like some that have like you know 50,000 reads or something yeah. just because the Google the Google algorithm is very kind to rank me- in yeah. the title and yes. to medium yes. so there you go perfect. Well, right on perfect well thank you so much Tristan we really Thanks, appreciate Tristan. you yeah and if you need a guest for your podcast coming up let us yeah. know I was gonna I was gonna ask actually do you have any knowledge or experience or interest in video uh, Zelda or Studio Ghibli no <laughs> no <laughs> I'll be so honest the, so the, I'll see you in two years when we yeah, finally maybe. get all this stuff. I played yeah, Zelda yeah. once years ago. My cousin got it for N64, and all I did was ride around on the horse because I thought it looked cool. And he was like, "You have to go over here," and I was like, "Nope." And I just kept riding in circles. So <laughs> that's the most. If I you have do a Zelda. Mario Kart one, oh. I could do. Oh that. yeah, <laughs> that, that's on. That's honestly been on the on the table. Um, but yeah, I, I actually will uh, keep you guys in mind for um, yeah. any music stuff, especially so. All right, y'all. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, minornotespodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next week, we'll be discussing the Foo Fighters' fifth album, In Your Honor, with Cleveland-based entertainment writer Troy L. Smith. Three.